All right, church. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're going to do the same thing we do every weekend here at Movement Church and preach the gospel. Is that all right? Is anybody showing up for the gospel today? Oh, yes. All right. So Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and here's what it says. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And today I want to talk to you from this idea, the beautiful message of the rejected Messiah. Now, my first sermon I ever preached, I tried to run away from being a pastor. I tried to run away from preaching. But early on, as I was in high school, I preached my first ever message. And this was the title, Four Reasons Why People Die in Their Sins. You can imagine all of the eyes peering back at me, like crying, holding back tears as I was proclaiming this message to them. But I can tell you, even in that moment, they weren't ready to throw me off a cliff. I've had some bad sermons. I've had some hard sermons, but that wasn't one of them. I've had people fall asleep during my sermons. I've got some hate mail after my sermons, but none of them compared to Jesus' sermon that he preaches in this day. It was the shortest one that I've, I've never preached one that short, just a few simple lines. And afterward, people tried to kill him. You know it's a rough day. I've never gone home after a sermon and Holly normally says, how did it go? There's never been a moment where I said, pretty good, they tried to kill me. That's never been one of those moments. But this for Jesus was one of those moments they tried to kill him after the sermon. We're in the series on the book of Luke where we learn of the beautiful message of rescue and redemption for humanity. And today I want to talk about, first, what was the message of Jesus? What did he come proclaiming? And second, what will your response be to this message that Jesus brings? So first, what was the message of Jesus? Well, in verse 14, here's what we see. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues and being praised by everyone. Tuck that away for a second of being praised by everyone. We're going to circle back to that here in just a little bit. But I love that throughout the Gospel of Luke, we see this idea of the Holy Spirit over and over again. One of the things that we talk about here at Movement Church is that we're called to be as Christians in Christ and led by the Spirit. And Jesus demonstrates this. As a matter of fact, we see Luke and Acts actually go together. One of the theories of scholars is that uh, they would use scrolls back in the day. So they would have a giant scroll, and on one side they kind of scroll through. And so that's how, when you hear the word scrolling, I know that you'd wonder where that comes from, but it's because you're scrolling through like a scroll, right? And so there would be this giant kind of scroll on one side of papyrus or leather, and they would hand it to somebody and they would find it. And so Luke and Acts are huge scrolls, and so they divided them into two, but as you look at them, they're 
actually one scroll that talks about this beautiful message of the Holy Spirit bringing the redemption and gospel to the city of Jerusalem throughout the book of Luke. And then throughout the book of Acts, you see the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. It's really an incredible book or a series of books as we see them together. But we see this idea of Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his Custom. Now, for me, I would imagine if ever there was a person who lived who didn't need to go on the Sabbath day to the synagogue, it would be Jesus. If there was ever a person who would be able to say, I connect with God in nature, or I don't need organized religion, you know, like it's God himself, right? And yet, what I love about Jesus is the beauty of a soul that is ready to connect with God. And so even Jesus had a pattern of meeting together and being built up in their faith. And we see this pattern of Jesus himself. Oftentimes in the synagogues, they would kind of go in a number of steps. And so they would recite the Shema. It is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then they would recite communal prayers together. They would read from the Torah and the prophets. And then there would be an exposition of that reading. And so Jesus participates in this moment as they get up and as they hand to him the scroll of Isaiah. And so what we see is that he reads from Isaiah, what we call chapter 61, though for Jesus, these uh, chapters didn't come along until the 1500s. And so you got to know, he knows Isaiah well enough to know how to get to where he's going in that moment. He unscrolls the whole deal and gets to Isaiah 61. It says he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so if we're wondering, what is this first message of Jesus? Because it's important that as we come to the book of Luke, that he gives us the introduction to everything that is to come later, which is this first sermon of Jesus. And what does he preach but a message of deliverance? One group of scholars for the biblical cornerstone uh, commentary say this. It seems to serve as a kind of frontispiece to the record of Jesus' public ministry, outlining as a kind of emancipation proclamation the program of Jesus and the subsequent mission of the early church that flowed from it. What they're saying is basically this is the idea, the beginning of all of his ministry, that if you were to have a lens for the ministry of Jesus, this serves as a lens that he gives you to understand all that comes after. And what is the lens for Jesus' ministry but that of deliverance? And so as we look at this, we begin to see the way that deliverance has actually shaped not only the church, but has shaped all of history of humanity. There's a non-Christian scholar by the name of Tom Holland who wrote a book called Dominion. And he writes about how all of history has been changed and shaped by Christianity. Prior to this display of Christ, what do we see but the idea of who overcomes but the one who is strongest. That's what naturalism tells us, right? If there's nothing but nature, then might equals right then it's survival of the fittest. Then it is the one who is rich. It is the one who is powerful. It's the one who overcomes. Those are the ones that we should look to in society to be like. And yet Jesus steps onto the scene and all of a sudden he says, listen, 
there's a different group of people that we pay attention to. There's a different way of being in the world, and history begins to change. If you hear these words in today's society, like looking out for those who are oppressed or looking out for those who are poor, the only reason why we're having that conversation is because of a carpenter that came 2,000 years ago and turned the world on its head. Because according to naturalism, it's just natural selection, survival of the fittest. But when Jesus steps on the scene, everything changes. And he begins to talk about these things like the poor and the blind and the captive and the oppressed. I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital before or if you've gone to counseling, but what do they have you fill out when you start this process? They have you fill out an intake form. As I think about the intake form for Jesus, he has a few check boxes for each one of us to answer. He says, are you poor? Are you blind? Are you oppressed? And are you someone who is captive? Because it's for those sorts of people that Jesus came that he says, listen, you have the right to come to me. And I wish that I could spend all of our time together just talking about those four things, but I'm going to give an overview. One pastor by the name of R.A. Torrey gives us the idea, this insight into natural man versus mankind by grace. And so Jesus starts off and talks about who we are by nature. And he starts off, he says, listen, by nature, we are poor. This is, this is not just simply like poor, you don't have a lot of money. It is that. Jesus did come for that group of people. But Jesus came for those who are poor in spirit. He came for a group of people that recognize that not that you're living paycheck to paycheck, but that you are absolutely bankrupt, that you have nothing to bring. And it's to that group of people that Jesus says that we have the right to come to him. It's to those group of people that we realize that we have nothing that we bring. You see, sometimes what we do is we say, listen, you have a good life. You have everything that you need. You're prosperous. You have all the things. But the one thing that you don't have is eternal security and where you're going to go in your future. And so why don't you add the cherry on top to your life? And why don't you add Jesus? But Jesus comes along and he says, no, you don't understand. It's not the people who need the cherry on top in life that have access to the gospel and to the Messiah of Jesus Christ. It is those who rightly understand that they have nothing, that they walk in poverty, that for each one of us as we walk through life that we say, listen, I see that I have nothing in my hands and it is that very thing that qualifies me to come to the Savior. And so he starts off and he says, are you poor? The second thing he says by nature is that we are prisoners. Uh, we are pri prisoners to the world, the flesh, and the devil. I know that we want to say, well, listen, I can live any life that I want. I can self-actualize. I can build myself to be who I want to be. But Jesus says, no, 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 you are captive. He says, for each one of us, if you want to see rightly, you must understand that you are captive to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That all the things that you long for are not found in these things of the world, but they are found in the freedom that comes with Jesus and Jesus alone. And so he says, are you captive to something? Are you addicted to something? Is there a secret struggle in your life that nobody knows about? Or that same hamster wheel that you run around over and over and over again because you are qualified to come to Jesus? He says, it's for the poor, for the captive. He says, it is by and for the blind. That he would say, by nature, we don't see. In and of ourselves, we don't see clearly. That's why as we look in the world, some of us are surprised that the world calls evil good and good evil. Some of us are like, how could it be that they wouldn't be able to see? And Jesus would say, of course that's the way it is. 
of course you see wrongly because by nature you see evil as being good and good as being evil. And so he says, listen, you are blind. And lastly, he says, you are oppressed. That like the Israelites who needed to travel out of the land of Egypt to find freedom, so for you and I, we have been enslaved to sin and enslaved to our old way of life. And so by nature, we are poor. By nature, we are blind. By nature, we are captive and oppressed. And it is only by grace that we can begin to see differently in the world. And it's only as we come to the Messiah that we are invited into a different kind of life. You see, the thing that you thought disqualifies you, let me tell you, is the very thing that qualifies you. That we show up to church and we say, well, listen, I've got to have it together. I've got to have it figured out. I've got to feel like this week, every moment of this week was heavens open and glory shining down on me. And yet it's in that very moment that Jesus says, listen, the very thing you thought disqualified you when you got angry at your kids the very thing that disqualified you when you gossiped, the very thing that you thought disqualified you when you looked at that thing you shouldn't have, the very thing that you thought disqualified you because you weren't faithful in the way that you should be, he said, that's your very qualification to come to me. Jesus didn't come for the perfect. He came for those who are in need. And so as we gather together as a church, what we recognize is that a gospel-formed community just simply shows up and says, you're in need, I'm in need too. You messed up this week, I messed up too. Let's talk about Jesus and the Messiah who came, not for those who are perfect, but for those who are poor. And it's that very thing that qualifies us to come to the Messiah of Jesus. And this beautiful declaration, as we see the last phrase, he says in verse 19 that he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This comes from uh, Leviticus chapter 25 and something called the year of Jubilee, where the 50th year there would be this incredible proclamation. A horn would sound in the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement. And on that day, what would happen is every person that had sold their land because they came on hard times or had been enslaved to somebody else because they had come across hard times, in the year of Jubilee, they found freedom. In the year of Jubilee, they were returned to their rightful land. And that is the declaration of Jesus Christ, that for those of us who come to the Messiah, we can be found in the year of the Lord's favor, that even though you were at your worst and your lowest, it is in that moment when the horn sounds and when we can find the Messiah for who he is declaring the year of the Lord's favor. And in that moment, not because you achieved, not because you accomplished, not because you were somebody, but because you were nobody. And when that horn sounds, each one of us hears the words of the Messiah saying, you can find favor in the Lord because of the name Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sits down with the shortest message ever preached, and says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today there's restoration and redemption. Today we experience the beauty of a church that we recognize that we are in need. And as he says today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. It has both a salvific declaration and a social declaration. For those of us, we understand there is a salvific declaration in that all of us need the Messiah for salvation. That there is redemption in one name, and that name is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And so he invites us who are poor. He 
invites us who are in need. And so there is a salvation component, but it doesn't stop there, church. Then he says there is a social component because then the church of people who see rightly go out into a lost and hurting and broken world, and we actually are the hands and feet of Christ to declare the kingdom of God is at hand. Can I tell you that it does not matter who sits on the throne, literally, if you're in the U.K., figuratively, if you're here in the United States. But what matters is that no matter the kingdom, that there is a kingdom that is above every throne. There is a kingdom above every politic, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what we recognize is that in every declaration that we live in a subversive way that brings about the kingdom of God because we live differently. Because rather than seeking out the powerful and trying to influence the influencer, that we go to the weak and we say that is the person that we serve. We go to the ones who are oppressed and we say, how can we lift you up? We go to the ones who are blind and we say, how can we love you? And all of a sudden, not only is the kingdom of God something that is invisible, which it is, but it is visible as the kingdom of God shows up among us. You wonder what the church is. The church are the people of God, the body of Christ, moving out into the world in small ways and demonstrating the kingdom of God in simple ways. As you show up at your neighbor's house, as you show up for your coworker, as you show up for your family, that there is the kingdom of God. And so we see this declaration of the Messiah and of the kingdom, not only in terms of salvation, but in terms of society to say that it ought to be different because the church is in the world. And it ought to be that the world looks at us and say, those are weird people. I don't get their beliefs. I don't agree with them. But tell you what, they know how to love like nobody else. That is the declaration of the kingdom of God in the world. Because Jesus said that he came for those who are poor and those who are captive and blind and oppressed. And so you would think that the answer to this would be that they would say, well, great news for all of us, but here's what they do instead to this town in Nazareth. It says this in verse 22, in the backwaters of the middle of nowhere, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips, but said, isn't this Joseph's son? And I think to many of us here in America that we've heard this message of Jesus Christ so many times that we say, isn't this just the gospel message we've all heard? Isn't it just a thing that we've heard so many times growing up and everybody said this was real? But I wonder if anybody would respond differently than these Israelites did to the message of Jesus Christ. Because we see that the message of Jesus is one of deliverance. But the question then is, how will we respond to this message? How will we respond to the message of deliverance for all people? As we see Simeon say in chapter 2 of Luke, My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for salvation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And then Jesus explains to this group of people, he says, listen, not just the insiders of Israel, but then he points to the greatest prophets of Elijah and Elisha. And he actually says that they brought salvation. They brought good news to the Gentiles. And it was in that moment that then it clicked into understanding for the Israelites in that synagogue. And they said, I want a Messiah that's for us. I don't want a Messiah that's for them. I wonder if that happens sometimes in the church. That we say, man, I, Jesus came for good people. He came for the good Republicans. Jesus came for the good Democrats. Je Jesus came for the people who got their life together. But I don't know about Jesus coming for them. I don't know about Messiah and salvation for them. And it was in that moment when we see that the Israelites turned on Jesus. And here's what it says in verse 28. All the people in the synagogue 
were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town, took him to the brow of the cliff on which the town was built in order to throw him over the cliff. And what we see, I wonder, is when do we get uncomfortable with the message of Jesus? When do we begin to say, I want the Jesus that makes sense to me, but I don't want the Jesus who actually is. Even in society, as we see, society says, well, listen, I want the Jesus that's kind of warm, fuzzy Jesus. That's kind of like love everybody Jesus. I don't want the Jesus that says that I don't see rightly. I don't want the Jesus that tells me that there's such a thing as sin. I don't want a Jesus that tells me I actually need to love somebody else around me. I don't want the Jesus that tells me I'm poor and oppressed. We say, I want the Jesus that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. But we see that there is a response for every one of us that instead of saying, Jesus, how dare you tell me what I can believe? How dare you tell me what I say about my politics and my sexuality and about my identity? How dare you say something like that? But it's in that very moment that Jesus is asking us, are you following me with everything? Are you following me with finances? Are you following me with the way that you love people who are different than you? Are you following me with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might and all of your strength? Or is there conditions attached to the way that you call me Messiah? Because it's for each and every one of us. I wonder where our response turns from amazed at his gracious words to wanting to throw him over the cliff because we don't like that message. And so they go to Jesus and they try to throw him over the cliff. What's interesting for me is that we see that everyone in verse 15 was amazed by Jesus' words, right? They were a fan. And then by verse 28, everyone was ready to throw him over a cliff. How fickle we are. But the same people that praised him on the day of the triumphal entry that were saying Hosanna in the highest were the very same people that said crucify him just a few days later. And how often are we the fickle people that go back and forth from saying Jesus is king to Jesus, I'm not a fan. And yet it's to those very people that Jesus shows up and he gives his life, even when they don't recognize him for who he is. It is this gospel of Jesus Christ that, as Paul says, the Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. I'm seeing reports about how America is going to be a godless nation and people freaking out and saying, what are we going to do? Can I tell you the gospel has always been offensive? People have always been offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we aren't preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not offending, which means that maybe we're not preaching rightly. That there's such a thing as sin, there's such a thing as wrath, but there's also such a thing as grace. And it's only when we have the bad news that we receive the good news. And the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been the foolishness of us saying, I don't see, I am captive, I do need the Lord. And us throwing ourselves at the feet of grace and recognition of our good and kindness of our Savior. And then finally in verse 30 it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Two thoughts about this. The first thought is if you're on the mission of God and if he still has something for you to do, it doesn't matter who's against you. It doesn't matter that the enemy is against you. It doesn't matter if the world is against you because if you're on the mission of God and if he's still got a plan for you, you'll walk right through the crowd. But the second thing, I wonder how many churches and how many lives that because we rejected the message of Jesus Christ that Jesus walks through. And the very Messiah that would bring salvation, we just simply let slip through our midst. We just simply let slip through our homes. We let slip through our lives. And we wonder, will he show up again? 
And it is that challenge that we're invited to, to ask the question for you in this moment, what will you do with the message of Jesus Christ? Not the message of Jesus Christ that is your life is great, put a cherry on top, but a life that says you are poor and you are blind and you are in need every second of the day and you have no hope but to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone and to belong to a community of faith that reminds one another that says you are lost and you are hurting and you are broken, but there is a God who is gracious and who is good. And what does that mean for churches across America? Will we preach a hard gospel message, but a beautiful message that says, will you receive the beautiful Messiah today that will bring uh, mercy and goodness into your life, that will proclaim liberty to the captive, and that will be everything that your soul longs for because our soul is restless until it finds rest in Jesus Christ. It's a message of deliverance, but it's a message that deserves a response. So we're going to do something. We're going to pray together. And then uh, we're going to do something we haven't done before. We're going to sing a song, Amazing Grace, a cappella, without any music and without any background to just declare the simple words of the gospel of Jesus Christ that once I was blind, but now I see, so that those words can seep into every part of who we are and we can remember the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes with me for a second? And I would love to pray over each and every one of us. We're going to do something a little interesting. If you would just place your hands over your eyes for a moment, I want to pray over the way that we see. Lord, I ask that when we approach you thinking that we are clothed in the riches of our own righteousness, when we approach you thinking that we have got it in and of ourselves, when we approach you thinking that we are bold and confident by our own works, Lord, would you give us new eyes to see us and ourselves as we truly are? That the welcome to the gospel of Jesus Christ is a welcome to those who are poor in spirit, who recognize as we look back on our week that we have failed over and over and over again, but in the failing that you are still faithful. Lord, would you give us eyes to see that though we are blind, that over and over again as we look throughout this gospel, that you, re, that you give sight to the blind. And that is physical and it is real, but it is also spiritual. That we need a new understanding of the way that we see the world and the way that we see ourselves. Lord, I pray that as we cover over our eyes that we would see the world differently, that we would see people differently, and that we would recognize that we are a kingdom of people that respond to the world differently than everybody else, and that we would see in a new way those who are poor, that we would see in a new way those who are oppressed, that we would see in a new way those who need to hear the gospel message of reconciliation. Would you give your church eyes to see those who are in need? Lord, would you give us eyes to see when you are right there in front of us, beckoning us to come to you with all of who we are, but instead we respond to say that we are rich and we have need of nothing. Lord, may we return to the gospel to recognize that we are desperately in need of you and may you not slip through us. May you not slip through our homes. May you not slip through our lives and may you not slip through our church. May you not slip through our country, but Lord, may we recognize that we are in desperate need of you. May we remember the beautiful message of the gospel that once I was blind, but now I see. And I ask for anyone today, Lord, who has not yet made that decision to make Jesus all in all,
that you would be all to them, that you would be the one who is the one who proclaims liberty to the captives and the year of the Lord's favor. And for all of us who have been on the line trying to live half in and half out, may we recognize that freedom comes from one name and one kingdom, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And may we say this day, I'm all in. I'm all about Jesus. I've seen the one who has made me all of who you've called me to be, that I might be restored as a new creation. And now through Jesus Christ, I declare this with with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my might that I might love you and that I might love the world around you. So Lord, as we sing this phrase, amazing grace, may we remember where we've come from and may we remember that it's never about our own strength, but it's always about our weakness that brings all of our, all of who we are, our brokenness to the throne of Jesus Christ. And it is only him that can set us free. And so may we declare amazing grace over our lives over our city, over our families and friends, and over our country. We ask all of this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.